0: Good evening, everyone. Glad you guys were able to row your way here this evening. Man. If you need a Bible, Greg's up. He's got a couple of Bibles in his hands. Just raise your hand and we'll bring one to your seat. If you would, turn to Isaiah chapter 36 this evening. I know I've been gone for a couple of weeks. Thank you, James, for filling in for me while I was gone and Greg for both filling in for me. That was a blessing for me. I had to get Joey back from college and then... Uh, Then Lisa wasn't feeling well, and I took another Wednesday off. But she's doing much, much better. Thank you for your prayers, and she should be back on Sunday, back to her old self. So, um, good with that. So, uh, if you would turn two places, actually, um, this evening. Turn to Isaiah chapter 36, then also turn to 2 Kings chapter 17. Kind of keep a bookmark in both places. 2 Kings chapter 17. Join me with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather this evening, Lord, to, uh, to be in your word. And we know, Father, that it's your desire to instruct us and to teach us and to not only give us information, but application in our lives that so we might glorify you with our lives in a greater capacity. Lord, thank you for protecting us. Thank you for uh, giving us a shelter from the storms, Lord. And I just praise you for this time tonight. We ask your blessing on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we pick up our studies in Isaiah, chapters 36 through 39, focus on the events that happened during the time, during the reign of King Hezekiah, who was a good king. You no, know, if you want to fool someone, you always tell them, turn to the book of Hezekiah, and you get them looking over and over again. There's no book of Hezekiah, but, but you can find out all about him in Second Kings chapter 18, 2 Chronicles chapter 31. Bible tells us that he did right in the sight of the Lord, having restored worship in the temple. He called for Passover to be celebrated once again, uh, which hadn't been done in years. He removed the high places, the altars, the pillars, and the Asherah uh, uh poles and ordered the people to fulfill their biblical duties to, to tithe so that the priests could be uh, uh and Levites could be supported. Second Chronicles thirty one, verse twenty and twenty one tells us this. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and the law and in the commandment to seek his God, he did it with all his heart. So he prospered. I love that. Whatever he did, he did with all his heart, as unto the Lord. And that's when the prospered. When he prospered, because he was seeking to please God, seeking to serve the Lord. Now, in the meantime, the Assyrians had been swallowing up territory between Nineveh. The, the capital city of Assyria, and Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah. They had already defeated the ten northern tribes. With the Assyrian forces only ten miles from Jerusalem, it looked as though Jerusalem, a relatively small and weak city, would be defeated as well. But God had promised in the past that he was going to bring deliverance to them. And these chapters this evening are the story of that deliverance. Now, turn for a moment now to 2 Kings chapter 17. Starting in verse 22, and this is real interesting, as I was studying for this, uh, this evening, uh, <clears throat> I'll show you in a minute. Uh, we begin with Assyria the defeating Israel's ten northern tribes. Look at verse 22 of second Kings 17. It says, For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not but depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight as he had said by all his servants, the prophets, so Israel was carried away from their own land to Syria as it is to this day. So we read of, of the northern tribes being carried away by Syria. They, they, they had provoked the Lord to anger, got the Lord to give them chance after chance to repent and stop from their idol worship and, and, and the things they were doing, but, but, but since they wouldn't, God had to and His goodness finally judge and they were carried away by the Syrians into captivity. Well, going on in verse 24, we read, then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Cutha, Ava, from just right south of here, um, <laughs> Hamath, and from Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. Now the practice of ancient cultures was out with the old and in with the new. When they would conquer an area, they would remove all the people that were in that area, then they would replace them with their own citizens. Now this helped. Uh, the conquerors in two ways. First, the people who were taken away and settled into different lands would lose their culture over the time and lose their language and, and their practices would be forgotten. Thus, there would be no organized opposition to come back and respond to the attack. So that makes it a more amazing thought when you think about the fact that the Jewish people had retained their uh, ethnicity over many generations without a land until 1948 when it was then able to come back as a people. But then the second way that uh, the out with the old and in with the new benefited, helped the conquerors, was when the people came in, it would then solidify their hold on the territory. There'd be more of the the, the them in than, than the remnant that was left behind. So as the king of Assyria, after carting off the Jews of, of the northern kingdom, he brought in, we read there, men from Babylon, Kadha, Ava, Hamath, who settled in, in the area of Samaria. But I love when it comes to man's plans versus God's plans, that things don't always turn out like we think. Now, I love that even with Israel in captivity, God is still working. Look at verse 25 of, of a Second Kings there. And it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there, that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Now, I don't know about you, but when, when you think of some of the things that the Lord sends for judgments, you know, boils and flies and turning water to blood, that's pretty bad, but lions? I mean, coming after you? God said, lions? I mean, What a surprise. But look at the reason why. It says, at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. See, they'd come in, now they're enjoying all the blessings of the land. The, the, these new residents ate of the crops. They didn't plant. They lived in houses. They didn't build. They enjoyed all the blessings and benefits of the Lord. What we read, they did not fear the Lord. They didn't acknowledge that it was the Lord who blessed the land. So the Lord sent some lions. Now, when I came across that text in preparing for this evening, I immediately remembered an article that I read uh Tuesday from WorldNet Daily about an incident that happened uh on this last Easter Sunday in Bangladesh. Uh Pastor Paul Sinaraj is a director of Bibles for Mideast, which delivers Bibles, preaches the gospel, and plants house churches in that strife torn region. He says, While Islam remains dominant, thousands upon thousands of people are now secretly believing in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, this pastor, he's a convert from Islam. He founded the work some four decades ago. But this story was posted, and I'll read it to you. It says, About three weeks ago, I was changing my wet clothes after an early morning baptism service for one of our churches. Suddenly, militants began stoning me and our group. My head was severely injured and bloodied, and a number of others sustained injuries as well. Believers rushed me to the nearest hospital. An examination showed serious damage to my skull, so I was transferred to a specialist hospital for immediate surgery. Authorities there, however, refused to do surgery before receiving payment. My poor believing friend somehow managed to comply. The Islamic militants who had attacked us discovered I was undergoing treatment in that hospital and plotted to kill me. So the believers shifted me from the hospital to Pastor Ayub's house in a nearby forested area. Pastor Ayub lives there with his wife, two young children, and an 80 year old mom. Two believers joined us to help care for me so the eight of us stayed there for primary things we used the forest area and a nearby river believers secretly visited me at the forest home and we would have prayer services together I stayed there for about three weeks last Sunday April 16th Easter Sunday we were in the midst of our worship service with pastor a. U bleeding suddenly a group of militants reached the house armed with steel bars and other weapons we had no idea what to do I still hadn't and have not fully recovered from the surgery. Pastor Ayub's mother is an elderly sick woman. We also had two children below four years old with us and a woman seven months pregnant who came for the service. Militants had found the house by noticing the people attempting to visit me secretly and coming for prayers. Losing all hope, we thought for sure this was our last day. The children with us started crying. We all joined hand in hands and repeatedly praised and thanked our risen Lord Jesus Christ. We also continually claim the blood of Jesus Christ as our victory. The pregnant woman suffered pain, but joined in our praises to the Lord. O oh, Lord Jesus, praise His holy name. Completely unexpectedly, a lion ran from the forest, leapt towards the militants, and seized one by the neck. When other combatants tried to attack the lion, two other lions bounded towards them. The terrified militants fled the sight, and the lions left us completely alone, equally astonishing. Uh, records show no lions are supposed to live in that forest. Due to pressure from officials, we left the forest home yesterday. I thought, that is amazing. That is amazing. I mean, you think about the Lord, you know, again, He sends, you know, boils and flies and turning water to to blood. This one is radical. Sending a lion. Did it some 2,700 years ago, and He does it some four weeks ago. I, I mean, it's an amazing story. And so... This brings us back to Isaiah 36. I just had to point that out to you. Now keep your place in Isaiah 17, because we're going to go back to Isaiah 18. But uh, look now at Isaiah 36. Assyria now has its sight set on Jerusalem. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass, in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then the king of Assyria sent the uh, rapture with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And he stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. Now, having completely taken over the northern kingdom of Israel, the Assyrians now, they're headed towards Jerusalem. They've taken all the fortified cities of Judah all around them. The king of Assyria, King uh, son of Cherub, sends his chief of staff to the, to the banks of the aqueduct from the upper pool, wanting Jerusalem to surrender. Now, this was all prophesied that would happen back in chapter 8, if you remember. Uh, you don't need to turn there, but chapter uh, 8, verse 7 and 8 says, Now, therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates, even the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise up over its channels and go over all its banks. Then it will sweep unto Judah, it will overflow and pass through, it will reach even to the Neck so we saw this prophesy, prophecy back in Isaiah chapter 8, how Assyria is going to come in like a flood, like we're having now in our area, and it's, the water is going to come up through their neck. And they did. They came up really to, to the neck, to, to the head of, of Judah, Jerusalem. Now, turn back with me to chapter 18 of Second Kings, because there's some more information that we don't find here in Isaiah. Chapter 18 of Second Kings, starting in verse 14. It says that, then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria a saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all this silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. So being surrounded by the Assyrians, good king Hezekiah thinks, I need to buy my way out of this. Now once, you know, Sennacherib had the silver and gold, there was really nothing to stop him from taking Jerusalem anyway except for the Lord. But see, I think this is a kind of a fallacy that, that mankind has never understood. When you give the devil his due, he simply demands more. If you go, okay, I, I, I'm just going right, to do this, man, he's going to want more and more. I think of today when Israel gives away land today to the Palestinians. You know, you think that's going to stop them from wanting more land? No, they're going to want more and more. When we make this great nuclear deal with Iran and give them billions of dollars, does that stop them from making nuclear weapons? Of course it's not. When is ever, you know, giving money to a bully ever stop someone from being a bully? It doesn't happen. See any sort of compromise leads to more compromise. It's a slippery slope. And when we compromise our beliefs and our position just to try to appease our enemies, it does have an opposite effect. It simply strengthens our enemies more and more against us. And that's what happens next. Turn back now, back to Isaiah 36. This is the last time we'll jump over to kings, so we'll stay here in Isaiah from here on in. Look at verse 3 through 6 of Isaiah 36. And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to him. Then the Rapshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this in which you trust? I say, you speak of having plans and powerful war, but they are mere words. Now, in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trust in him. So again, despite the, the bribery to leave him alone, now they're around him and now they're, they're saying, you know, who do you guys think you are thinking that, that you're going to, you know, prevent us from coming in? I mean, you have Eliakim, Hezekiah, Hezekiah's chief of staff, coming out to meet Sennacherib's chief of staff, the Raphshakeh. Now, the Raphshakeh tells Eliakim to tell Hezekiah, there's no way they're going to be delivered. Even though that they had made that agreement with, Egypt to help, even though they tried to bribe him with money. We read it now, we read about the alliances with Egypt back in chapter thirty. Well then next Rapsha starts blasting Hezekiah by by saying uh, speaking about some things that, that he completely had no understanding of. Again, when Hezekiah took leadership in Judah, he tore down the high places and altars and places of worship to false gods. But the Rapsha heathen mind, he thought that Israel's God would be upset at Hezekiah for, for tearing down those altars, and, and therefore he is saying that their God would not defend them because those altars were torn down. Look at verse 7. He says, But if you say to me, trust in the Lord our God, is it not he who hides places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, You shall worship before the altar? See how he, how he's misunderstanding what was going on. You know, he thought that that Hezekiah was 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 turning against God but, and instead, I, I, Hezekiah was, was doing something for the Lord. And here's the problem. Often our decisions to please God will confuse onlookers, and it leads to misunderstandings and misinterpretation. You know, when you as a, a Christian decide that certain forms of entertainment aren't glorifying to God, and you're going to go watch it, you're not going to go look at this movie or whatever, non-believers look on and accuse you, you know, oh, your God just doesn't want you to have any fun. Oh, yeah, you know, we're not having any fun. They don't understand. When a Christian makes a commitment to tithe, non-believing friends don't get it. You know, they accuse God of, of begging for money or the Christian is being duped, you know. Or, or when a Christian gets, gets, gets fired up about a Bible study and starts making church a priority, their unbelieving coworkers will often accuse them, oh, you're just brainwashed, you know. And here's why. They don't understand. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. They don't understand what's going on in the spiritual world because they're deceived. They're still blind. They don't get it. So, uh, Rabshakeh thought that Hezekiah was displeasing his God. In reality, he was pleading the Lord by tearing down those altars and high places to the false gods. Well, Rabshake continues to mock Judah. Next, next, it's for looking to Egypt for help. Look at verses 8 to 10. He says, Now, therefore, I urge you, Give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses, if you are able on your part to put riders on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against the land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against the land and destroy it. See, the Jews had, had relied upon Egypt for horses, as well as riders for them, and they had in Egypt to, to help them out. And Rabshakei basically said, basically said, listen, if I gave you 2,000 horses, you still wouldn't be able to do anything to win this conflict. Even if Egypt came to help you, they're going to be destroyed. Well, he continues to mock and imitate, uh, intimidate Hezekiah and, and their ability to defend themselves. Look at verses 11 through 21. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the Rabshake, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it, and do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the rapture case said, Has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall, who eat and drink their own waste with you? Then the rapture case stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and said, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. The city will not be given to the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present, and come out to me, and every one of you eat from his own vine, and every one from its own fig tree, and every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware, lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Were the gods of Hamath and Arpat? Were the gods of Sepharim? Indeed, have have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands has delivered their countries from my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? But they held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, Do not answer him. So you got Hezekiah's men, Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah, they're, they're very self-conscious about the mockery that's taking place, and they don't want the, the the men on the wall to to hear the conversation going on. And so they ask the Rapture K okay, to speak in Aramaic instead of Hebrew, so that the conversation would remain private. <laughs> Obviously, oh yeah, sure, I'll do that. Obviously, not. They're not he's not going to do that. And 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 so uh, he says, instead, you know. So that they can all understand. Don't listen to Hezekiah, your king, who keeps telling you that God's going to deliver you. You know, no God has defeated our great king of Assyria, Sennacherib. And then if he thinks that, you know, and then if they thought that their God could, he shouts in a language they all could understand and asks them to think about all those other nations that have already been defeated. Verse 19 and 20 says, We're the gods of Hamath and Arpad. We're the gods of Sefervaim. Whom among all the gods of these lands have delivered their countries from my hand? that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. See, I like this because it shows us really where faith is tested, when, when, when it can't be determined with sight. See, common sense is every other nation has fallen, we, we're going to fall too. But faith says, no, I'm going to put my trust in God and He's able to deliver you know, it, it's like when the world says, "Well, you have no hope, man. You lost your job. You're never going to get another new job. Is that what, man? Man, you should just give up, really." You know, but I said for God, and oh no, it's never going to happen, or, or you know, or this time God's not going to come through for you. All the other times, yeah, God came through for you, but but this time and this thing that you're going through, God's not going to come through with you this time, and and we believe a lie, but faith says no. I'm going to put my trust in God and He's able to deliver. He's able to see me through this. He has in the past and He will continue to do so. It's it's as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 91, 7-10. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked because you have made the Lord who is my refuge. Even the most high your dwelling place no evil shall befall you nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. I love that. You know, we walk by faith, not by sight. I also love that we read in verse 21 that they held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was to do not answer him. That's wisdom. You know, the, the, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 51 that a quiet answer turns away wrath. You know, that they held their tongue. We're told in James 1.20, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It was smart for Hezekiah to say, listen, no matter what they're saying, you guys don't respond. Just, just hold your tongue. Well, now in verse 22 and on into chapter 37, verse 7, Isaiah comes on the scene to reassure what God has already spoken. Look at verse 22. Then Eliakim, the sons of Hezekiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the rapture And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priest, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble, and rebuke, and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the rapture whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So Hezekiah's men comes back, to Hezekiah, report all that Rapture K had said and the mocking of Judah's armies and, and the mocking of God. And, and I love the first thing that Hezekiah does. He prays. He, he prays. I mean, the best thing he could have done. Then he sends for some consultation for uh, those that knew the word. He sends for Isaiah. And I love Isaiah's response. Isaiah tells Hezekiah that God said he has heard the blasphemy of Rabshakeh and that Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, will soon be leaving and will actually die back in Assyria. Now, while that is going on, we read in verses 8-13, through Rabshakeh goes back to Sennacherib. Now, this is with Assyrians. Verse 8. Then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, He has come out to make war with you. So when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them, and you shall be delivered. Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed, Gozan and Haran and Rezeph, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where's the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, and the king of the cities of Sepharvaim, Hannah and Iva? And so, having delivered his message to, to King Hezekiah's men, Rabshakeh leaves Jerusalem, returns to Sennacherib. The king is currently attacking Libna, which seems to have been about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. Sennacherib's fighting against Libna, confident he's going to conquer. Now, while that's going on, then he sends a letter to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah, saying, basically, we're coming to get you after we're done with, with uh, Libna. And, and then he says, uh, and, and don't you think that your God's going to save you because the gods, look at all these other nations, their God didn't do them anything. Well, how does Hezekiah respond? Look at verses 14 to 20. So Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord of God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. What a great story. I love it. Hezekiah gets a nasty letter, and the first thing he does, again, is he prays. I love it. He gets a nasty word, he prays. He gets a nasty letter, he prays. Now, over the years, I've really come to despise nasty letters. I've... I've got a few of them, and, and you know, I'd I, you know usually, you know, if someone wants to talk to you verbally, it, it's it's something they want to encourage you with, oh man, you're doing great, enjoy this, but man, if they get a letter, it, something's going on, you just, you know, I see it on my desk, or something, like, oh man, what's it going to say, nine times out of ten, if it's a letter, it's something that they're upset about, that I didn't do, or that I did do, that I should have done, that didn't do, or, or something, and that's why they're leaving the church, and, and so on and so forth. So what do you do when you get letters like that? What do you do when you get, you know, threats or accusations, maybe from your boss or, or, or from some a coworker or something like that? I believe that Hezekiah's example is the best one to follow. He just, right before the Lord, he lays it out. He says that he spread it out before him. Just laid it all out before him. Said, said Lord, here's what they're saying. Here's what they're accusing me of. Lord, here's what they're saying. I'm turning to you for help. It's like, Lord, show me. If what they're saying is true, and there's areas in my life that I need to work on, then, Lord, show me that. I I'd certainly, I, I don't want to be so prideful or blind to my, my own shortcomings. Lord, make me see that. But also, Lord, if this is an attack from the enemy seeking to discourage and disrupt the work of the Lord, man, show me that as well. See, it's just, just laying it all before the Lord. Now, understand, this was a situation over which Hezekiah had no control over. His only choices, he only had two choices, pray. Or panic. I mean, that's it. Now, he chose to pray. And I think, again, that's a lesson that we need to learn from him. When dealing with threats, spread them out before the Lord and pray. When facing difficulties, lay them out before the Lord and pray. When encountering opposition, put it before the Lord and pray. I think so often we, we hold on to it and we think about it and it, it churns in our minds and, and we have sleepless nights and upset stomachs and high blood pressure and instead of just spreading it out before the Lord and laying it before the Lord and leaving it there, go, Lord, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just putting it in your hands and trusting that you are going to take care of the situation. Well, God does answer Hezekiah in verse 21 from a word through Isaiah. Look at verse 21. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah saying... Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. Oh, I love that. The sent a cherub was accustomed to serving powerless gods who could neither hear, speak, or or, or see. This time, however, he's come across the creator of the universe rather than the created, and his threats were nothing more than idle threats. Foolishness. So, the message he gives them in verse 24. By your servants you have reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of my chariots I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees I will enter its farthest height to this fruitful forest. I've dug and drunk water and with the soles of my feet I've dried up all the brooks of defense. Now, now those are the threats that the Assyrians boasted on in their conquest. How they dried up all the, 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 the brooks and, and, and so the Lord here is saying through Isaiah in verse 26, Hey buddy, I created those brooks. Those ponds that you're so proud of drying up, I created them. You know, In fact, I made you to use you as a tool for judgment against other nations and now guess what? It's your turn. Look at verses 26 to 29. He says, Did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed it? Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities in the heaps of ruins. Therefore the inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb, as the grass on the housetops and grain blighted before it is grown. But I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in. And I know your rage against me. Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way with, with which you came. Interesting, the Assyrians, when they would capture another nation, they would put hooks in the noses of their, their captives and bridles in their lips, and they'd pull them away. And God is saying, guess what's coming to you? you know, hooks in your noses and bridles in your, in, your, in your mouth. I mean, in your lips. I love that. Now Paul says in Galatians 6-7, Do not be conceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. So the Lord says, Hooks and bridles will be used upon you Assyrians, I will stop you. But notice why God will do this. Not because of Judah, not because of Hezekiah, not because of Jerusalem. Verse 29 says, Because of your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears. Guys, this is important to take notice of. God will often come against your enemy, not because of anything you have or haven't done, simply because of who your Father is. You know, many times you think, oh, oh God's not going to pull me through this time because I haven't been reading my Bible enough, or, not, or, or I, I've messed up this time, I've really blown it, I've really fallen short. And we walk around with this cloud of condemnation hanging over our head, thinking that God has washed His hands of me. God's not going to protect me this time. But He hasn't. When people attack God's children, he takes it personally. And we're we're his adopted sons and daughters. He loves us, and and he's vowed to protect us, to never leave us, to forsake us. And I think of my kids. You know, if they're messing around and they break a window, you know, I'm not going to be happy with them. You know, they're going to be in trouble. But if some stranger comes to my house and wants to to attack them, I'm going to protect them, regardless of, of what they've done or what they haven't done. God, our Heavenly Father, is no different. He loves us as His children, whether we're good or bad. Jesus loves me when I'm good, when I do the things I should. He loves me when I'm bad, when I, though it makes me very sad. Yes, Jesus loves me. So, verses 30 through 32, God gives a word of com- comfort and assurance to His people. Look at verse 30, says, This shall be a sign to you, that you shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and the second year what springs from the same. Also in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall take, again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of the host, will do this. In other words, listen, you have one, you're going to have at least three more years, he's saying, you guys are going to be free from any, any attacks. You now we know eventually Babylon would come in and take them, but at least the Lord is promising them, listen, at least for the next three years, man, the the, the areas that the Assyrians attacked, man, the, the the Jews there, they're gonna come back, we're gonna we're gonna you're gonna get down and, and you're gonna plant the vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And then in verses thirty-three through thirty-five, he gives a very bold and very specific prophecy. He says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. I love this. God promises to Hezekiah that not a single arrow would be shot and that the enemy would be leaving. God was going to defend Jerusalem. So you have 185,000 Assyrians. We know this just outside Jerusalem, ready to attack, ready to destroy, just waiting for the word. Now think about this. If one, just just one of those 185,000 soldiers shot one arrow over to Jerusalem, this prophecy would have failed. It would have been done. God's word would not have been true. Or if only one of the 185,000 had wandered into the city, the prophecy would have failed. God's word would have been inaccurate. How wonderful, how amazing, how absolutely trustworthy are the promises and the prophecies of God. Not one prophecy will ever fail. You can count on it. And in verse 36, it's fulfilled. Look at verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So during the night, while the Assyrians slept, one angel came and killed 185,000 of them. Now Second Chronicles 32 gives us a little more information. It says in verse 21 there, Then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. In other words, from, from what I understand from this, the enlisted guys didn't wake up till the next morning and what they found must have been terrifying. 185,000 of the mighty men, of the leaders, of the captains, were all dead. I mean, could you imagine, you're this enlisted man in the military, and you wake up in the morning, and all your commanding officers, all the top leaders, all the mighty men, the guys that are special trained, all these guys, they're all dead. I mean, that would freak you out as a soldier. And it did. I mean, finally look at verses 37 and 38. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained in Nineveh. Now, it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the house of Nishroch, his god, that his son Adremelech and Sharizur struck him down with a sword and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. So, again, just as Isaiah prophesied that not an arrow would be shot into the city and not a siege ramp would be built against it, Sennacherib Sen- Sen- left and returned home to Nineveh, and while he was worshipping in the temple of his false god, his son, Adramelech and Sharazer, Sher- his brother, killed uh, uh, him, and her brother ears became king of Assyria. All prophesied back in verse 7. Absolutely to the fullest. I mean, God's word is true down to the very smallest detail. I love it. I love it. And what he says is true, and what he says about his return is true, and we can count on it as well, and all right, we'll stop there for this evening. I thought I could get into chapter 38, but we'll uh, we'll hit that next time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night tonight, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that every prophecy, every promise in your word will come to pass, Lord, just as you said that it would. We've seen it, Lord. We read it tonight, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we trust in the God who's a God of his word. Lord, we thank you that we can walk by by faith and not by sight, even though we see enemies surround us today, Lord, and shouting blasphemies in the culture which we're we're living in, Lord. We trust in our living God, who has promised to save us and to redeem us and to pull us out of this place one day, Lord, and we thank you for that. We trust in your promises. Thank you for this night, Lord. I pray that you'd give us all traveling mercy on our way home, Lord. I pray that you'd keep us safe, We give you all the glory, honor, and praise for you are a great God and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.